Welcome back to Songs for FRCR. It's me again and I have chosen my very own theme tune. I've decided I'll be playing this at the beginning of every episode I present. Today's topic is testicular tumours. So whether you're a registrar revising for exams, whether you're a radiology consultant who just wants to brush up on their ultrasound knowledge, or maybe you're an orthopaedic surgeon and you just want to learn something outside of fixing fractures. Okay, pipe down. Maybe not the last one. So for everyone other than orthopods, it's a great episode. Never have I had more trouble thinking of a song for a topic, but thanks to some suggestions from you lovely lot, we've come up with a cracker. I have to give a shout out to the two musical geniuses who came up with this. The first shout out is to a GP from the city of Wolverhampton in the UK. This GP is called Dr. Ralph, who sent me this suggestion by email. The second is Chris from Radiology Cafe. You're both legends. So here we go. Testicular tumours. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Your kind of love drives a man insane. Now I am very much a one-trick pony. Whenever there are a list of diseases to learn under an umbrella heading, I will always divide them up into a flowchart to help with memory recall. It does work. I've used the same technique in previous episodes and I'm going to use it again today. So your mental flowchart, as in the way that your mind organises testicular tumours, will look like this. The title is obviously testicular tumours. Divide this up into two. Germ cell tumours and non-germ cell tumours. Now germ cells are simply the cells that give rise to the sperm. So germ cell tumours make up 95% of testicular tumours. Non-germ cell tumours are the other 5%. We're going to do germ cell tumours first. So before we talk about different germ cell tumours and divide them up further, we're going to mention some general points. These are usually malignant. There are three tumour markers that are important with testicular tumours and you need to be aware of which one is raised in which tumour. The three you need to know about are AFP, alpha fetoprotein, HCG and lactate dehydrogenase, LDH. So testicular tumours we've divided up into germ cell versus non-germ cell tumours. We're starting with germ cell and we've said that these are usually malignant. The three tumour markers that we need to be aware of are AFP, LDH, 
and HCG. In your mind, you're going to further divide germ cell tumours into two. They are either seminomas, that's the first group, or they are non-seminomas. We also call those non-seminiferous germ cell tumours. Let's start with the first group, seminoma. Seminoma is the most common germ cell tumour and it makes up around 50% of all germ cell tumour cases. There are two things that are going to help you spot a seminoma in an exam. First of all, demographics. This occurs in patients older than other testicular tumours. Generally, they're over the age of 40. Secondly, the ultrasound findings. The important thing here is seminomas will be very, very well-defined, usually oval-shaped, homogeneous, hypoechoic testicular masses. They appear homogeneous because seminomas have a very uniform cellular nature. Having said that, if they do grow to be particularly large, they can become heterogeneous. Spread is usually lymphatic rather than through the blood, and the primary site of lymph nodes is the paraaortic at the level of the renal vessels. Finally, seminomas are very radiosensitive. I mentioned tumour markers earlier. With seminoma, up to 25% will have a raised HCG. Let's recap so that we can memorise this. Testicular tumours, dividing into germ cell and non-germ cell. We are on the germ cell side of the flowchart and we've divided germ cell further into seminomas and non-seminomatous tumours. Seminoma is a homogeneous, low-echo, well-defined, oval-shaped lesion within the testis. It occurs in patients over the age of 40 and in 25% will have a raised HCG. They are incredibly radiosensitive. We're doing germ cell tumours, which we divided into seminomas and non-seminomatous tumours. We've done seminomas, and now we're moving on to non-seminomatous germ cell tumours. This is an umbrella term for lots of distinct tumours, all with very similar radiology. Unless you have the memory of a goldfish, you will remember that I just said seminomas occur in patients over the age of 40 and they are well-defined, oval, hypoechoic, uniform, homogeneous lesions. I also said they were very radiosensitive. We're going to compare that now with the non-seminomatous germ cell tumours. In contrast to seminomas, these tend to be hyperechoic and heterogeneous. They can have cystic areas, they can have calcification, and they're usually very, very aggressive. Unlike seminomas, these are not radiosensitive. 
I'm going to go through five different types of non-seminomatous germ cell tumours. The five are embryonal cell carcinoma, choriocarcinoma, yolk sac tumour, teratoma and mixed germ cell tumour. Mixed germ cell tumour is basically any combination of the other four. In fact, I'll start with mixed germ cell tumour. So, as I've said, a mixed germ cell tumour is any combination of the other four. Generally, it tends to be a combination of teratoma and embryonal cell carcinoma. Embryonal cell carcinoma features in 87% of mixed germ cell tumours, so it's almost always there. Mixed germ cell tumours tend to be in men around the age of 30, and like with all tumours in this group, they are hyperechoic, heterogeneous, can be calcified, can be cystic, taking on the characteristics of whichever combination of cells form it. So that's mixed germ cell tumour. Not much more to say about that. We'll move on now to embryonal cell carcinoma. Remember, embryonal cell carcinoma features in the vast majority of mixed germ cell tumours. It's the second most common germ cell tumour after seminoma. The completely pure form of embryonal cell carcinoma only makes up around 2% of testicular tumours. It can occur in slightly younger patients compared to the mixed cell type. Remember, the mixed cell type was in men age of 30. The embryonal cell carcinoma tends to be men slightly younger, age 25 up to 35. The patients are younger and it's also usually more aggressive. Like with all non-seminiferous germ cell tumours, it can be cystic, it can have calcification, it can be hyperechoic, generally it's heterogeneous. Many textbooks describe an embryonal cell carcinoma as having a lobulated appearance. They're also often very poorly defined. Let's just recap back from the start of non-seminiferous germ cell tumours. I've said we're going to talk about five of them. Embryonal cell carcinoma, choriocarcinoma, yolk sac tumour, teratoma and mixed. We started with mixed. I said it occurs in patients around the age of 30 and it's any combination of the other four. It tends to be a combination of embryonal cell carcinoma, which features in 87%, and teratoma. That was mixed. We then talked about embryonal cell carcinoma itself, which we said the pure form accounts for 2% of testicular tumours. I said the patients were slightly younger, 25 to 35, and it's more aggressive than the mixed type. Like with all non-seminomatous germ cell tumours, it tends to be heterogeneous, poorly defined, and in many textbooks described as having a lobulated appearance. Let's move on to the incredibly rare choriocarcinoma. Choriocarcinoma, a pure choriocarcinoma, is less than 1% of patients with testicular tumours. It does feature in a mixed germ cell tumour around 8% of the time. And if it does feature in a mixed tumour, it's highly, highly malignant. 
funnily enough, choriocarcinoma has high levels of human chorionic gonadotrophin. So raised HCG levels confer a bad prognosis. And actually, prognosis is pretty dire with choriocarcinoma anyway. It carries the worst prognosis from this group. Imaging of choriocarcinoma is the same as with all non-seminomatous germ cell tumours. I'm going to repeat it again to drum this into your head. They are all heterogeneous, usually hyperechoic, may have cystic areas, may have solid bits, may be poorly defined, and in the case of embryonal cell carcinoma, possibly lobulated. So that's mixed germ cell tumours, embryonal germ cell tumours and choriocarcinomas. The final two tumours in this group are yolk sac tumour and teratoma, both of which tend to occur in children. We're going to start with yolk sac tumour, which is almost exclusive to children. 80% of childhood testicular tumours are yolk sac tumours. That shouldn't be hard to remember because yolks come from eggs, eggs are where babies come from and that's your link. They will always have elevation of AFP, alpha fetoprotein. Again that's linked, feto fetus links with the whole yolk and the childhood tumour thing. So yolk sac tumours occur in children under the age of two and will always have a raised AFP, alpha fetoprotein. Yolk sac tumours, like with all non-seminomatous germ cell tumours, have a variety of imaging appearances. They can be heterogeneous, they can be homogeneous. A few textbooks have described a pattern with an isoechoic mass and an anechoic centre. However, in an exam, the key giveaway is going to be demographics. It's going to be the age of the patient. If the patient in question is under the age of two, yolk sac tumour is your most likely diagnosis. Finally, teratoma. Teratoma is the second most common testicular tumour in kids, a little bit older than yolk sac tumour, under the age of four. And like with teratomas everywhere else, the imaging appearance is mixed complex cystic tumour with some calcification. Teratomas tend to be quite well defined and although they're common, most common in children under the age of four, you can get teratoma cells in over half of mixed germ cell tumours. So as I've already said, mixed germ cell tumours tend to be a teratoma plus an embryonal cell carcinoma. Let's recap everything we've done so far before we move on to non-germ cell tumours. We're talking testicular tumours today, which we divided into germ cell and non-germ cell tumours. We started with germ cell and we further divided these into seminomas and non-seminomas. The seminomas, we said, are the most common testicular tumour. It's men over the age of 40 these have a very uniform cellular appearance. As a result of this uniform cellular appearance, you'll see a well-defined, oval, homogeneous, hypoechoic lesion. Up to 25% of them will have an elevated HCG. Finally, we said, unlike non-seminomatous germ cell tumours, 
seminomas are very highly radiosensitive. We then moved on to non-seminomatous germ cell tumours, which we said was an umbrella term for a bunch of different tumours with similar radiological findings. The five we talked about were embryonal cell carcinoma, choriocarcinoma, yolk sac tumours, teratoma and mixed germ cell tumours, which was any combination of the other four. We started with the mixed germ cell tumours, and we said these occur in patients around the age of 30. 87% of mixed germ cell tumours contain embryonal cell carcinoma. The most common combo for a mixed germ cell tumour was embryonal cell carcinoma and teratoma. Like with all non-seminomatous tumours, we said mixed germ cell tumours would be hyperechoic, heterogeneous, sometimes calcified, sometimes cystic, depending on whatever cells it's comprised of. Embryonal cell carcinoma was next. Although it's common within mixed germ cell tumours, in its pure form it only made up around 2% of testicular tumours. The patient demographic was slightly younger than mixed germ cell tumours, 25 to 30. These are more aggressive than mixed germ cell. Like with all non-seminomatous tumours, they're heterogeneous and poorly defined. Some textbooks did mention that embryonal cell carcinoma tends to be lobulated. The rare and very horrible choriocarcinoma was next. This, remember, had the worst prognosis of all of them. It had raised HCG levels, which gave it an even worse prognosis. We talked yolk sac tumours next, and I told you the key thing helping you identify these in an exam is the age of the patient. Under the age of two, a tumour is overwhelmingly likely to be a yolk sac tumour. They will always have a raised AFP, and appearance can be variable. They can be homogenous, they can be heterogeneous, they can be cystic, they can have solid areas. Some textbooks have described an isoechoic mass with a central cystic area. I'll say it again, age is key. Age is key for identifying yolk sac tumour. And finally, teratoma, the other childhood tumour. Finally, teratoma, the second most common childhood tumour. Children slightly older, under the age of four, and like with all teratomas everywhere, it's a complex cystic mass, often with calcification. So that's it for the individual germ cell tumours. I have got some footnotes for you before I move on to non-germ cell tumours. The first footnote is regarding surveillance of these tumours following treatment. I mentioned that seminomas were highly radiosensitive. So a T1 seminoma that has been treated has a relapse rate of 1%. Imaging surveillance post-treatment completion is not recommended with seminomas. The patient can obviously self-examine, but as far as imaging is concerned, we don't routinely follow up seminomas. Non-seminomatous tumours are a different story. They require surveillance because an equivalent T1 tumour of non-seminomatous origin, 30% of these will relapse usually within year one to two. 
so CT and blood tests for tumour markers, we do three monthly within the first year and then six monthly in the second year. I'll say that again. Seminomas tend to not relapse. A T1 grade treated seminoma has a relapse rate of 1%. So routine imaging surveillance is not recommended. For non-seminomatous tumours, an equivalent T1 tumour has a 30% rate of relapse. So we do have imaging surveillance of these patients. They have CT scans and blood tests for tumour markers three monthly for the first year and then six monthly for the second year. The second footnote is regarding metastases. We've already established that non-seminomatous germ cell tumours are a lot more aggressive and more likely to metastasize than seminomas. Something that can happen with very, very aggressive germ cell tumours is called an azopardi tumour. This essentially means that a germ cell tumour becomes so malignant with such a high metabolic rate that the tumour outgrows its own blood supply and begins to involute after it's metastasized. So you'll see lots of metastases, but no primary tumour. The primary tumour will completely regress to a T0, or you may see a small calcified body within the testis. So that's an azopardi tumour. I'm going to spell that for you. A-Z-Z-O-P-A-R-D-I. That's where a tumour is highly malignant, metastasizes, and the original tumour involutes and becomes imperceptible. Finally, I do have to mention staging. Now, you are not expected to be able to recall the TNM staging for any tumour in the FRCR2A exam at all. But you do need to know what features raises a tumour's grade. So I think the things that you should know are a T1 tumour is a tumour that is confined within the testis. It may or may not involve the REIT testis, that doesn't matter. But a T1 tumour remains within the testis. A tumour goes up to a grade T3 from a T2 once it involves the spermatic cord. So spermatic cord involvement will make it a T3 tumour. You need to know that. And finally, you should know that it becomes a T4 tumour if it involves the scrotum. So T1 is testis only. It becomes a T3 from a T2 when it involves the spermatic cord. And finally, a T4 tumour will involve the scrotum. I've already mentioned lymph nodes, but I'm going to say it one more time. Testicular tumours will follow the route of the testicular vessels and will metastasize to the paraaortic lymph nodes at the level of the renal vessels. The paraaortic nodes will be involved before hematogenous spread. If, however, there has been previous scrotal surgery, this will disrupt the lymphatic drainage. In these patients, the tumour cells will follow drainage of the scrotal skin and will drain to the inguinal lymph nodes. So I'll say that again, testicular tumours go to the paraaortic lymph nodes at the level of the renal vessels. If the patient has had previous surgery to the scrotum, 
that lymph drainage is disrupted and the tumour then will follow the scrotal skin drainage and head to the inguinal lymph nodes. We are done with germ cell tumours. The next group is non-germ cell tumours. I've already covered TNM staging and lymphatic spread in the first part because non-germ cell tumours are overwhelmingly benign. Let's take a two minute break, let all that knowledge sink in and move on to non-germ cell testicular tumours. Right, I've had a break. I am feeling nice and refreshed. Let's move on to the next part of our talk on testicular tumours. Let's recap. We're doing testicular tumours. We divided them up into germ cell and non-germ cell tumours. We've covered germ cell tumours. We are now on the non-germ cell side of the flowchart. General points about non-germ cell tumours, first of all. They are benign in 90% of cases. Common in paediatrics where they comprise 30% of all testicular lesions. The non-germ cell tumour group is essentially the sex cord stromal tumours. These are tumours that are derived from the stromal component of the testis as opposed to the gametes. In other words, derived from the background cells as opposed to the baby-making cells. Before we talk about each of these tumours in turn, there is one very important thing you have to have in your mind. Although 90% of these are benign, it is impossible to differentiate these from the malignant tumours on imaging. That's really, really important. There is no reliable way to differentiate these benign tumours from malignant ones. So they will always have an orchidectomy and the diagnosis will be made in histology. Now that we have that important point out of the way, let's talk about the first of our four non-germ cell tumours. The first one we'll talk about is Leydig cell tumours. These arise from the cells of Leydig. These are cells within the interstitium that lie adjacent to the seminiferous tubules. They're the most common sex cord stromal tumour, so the most common tumour in this group. But overall, as far as testicular tumours go, they're rare. They only comprise 1-3% to of testicular tumours overall. Classically described as having a bimodal distribution, the first peak is in children between the ages of 5 and 10, the second peak tends to occur in young adults, 20 to 30. As with every other tumour in this group, the vast majority are benign. 10% will be malignant. Imaging findings are very non-specific because I've already said you cannot differentiate these from the malignant tumours we've already talked about. They will be small, hypoechoic, usually round lesions. They may have some cystic areas, usually they're on one-sided, and 
like I said again and again, because I need to drum this into you, you cannot differentiate a Leydig tumour from the malignant tumours. The giveaway for a Leydig tumour in an exam is going to be clinical presentation. In about 30% of these patients, they'll have hormonal imbalance. So they'll present with things like virilization, precocious puberty and gynecomastia as a result of hyperestrogen. That will be the giveaway. So let's just recap Leydig tumours. Leydig tumours from the interstitium, the things we need to remember is a bimodal age distribution, 5 to 10 year olds and then 20 to 30 year olds. The key finding on an exam question is going to be hormonal imbalance. So they may well present with precocious puberty, a virilization and gynecomastia. Imaging findings are non-specific. I'll say them again just to help you remember it, but they won't help you in an exam. So small, hypoechoic, round, sometimes cystic, usually unilateral. Let's move on to the second in this group of tumours, Sertoli cell tumours. Unlike Leydig cell tumours that had the bimodal age distribution, the Sertoli cell tumours can occur in anyone, paediatric and adults. There are various subtypes that affect peds and adults preferentially. I'm not going to go into those because I've not seen them specified in any exam question. A general look at Sertoli cell tumours will suffice for the 2A exam. Sertoli cell tumours can also be hormonally active like the Leydig cell tumours we mentioned previously. However, they're a lot less likely to be hormonally active. This is why it's a good differentiator in an exam. So occasionally precocious puberty, but much less likely so compared to Leydig cell tumours. Normally they present as a testicular mass or testicular firmness. On ultrasound, there'll be a poorly defined hypoechoic lesion within the testis, nothing specific to identify as a Sertoli tumour. Most will be diagnosed on histology following an orchidectomy. Let's quickly recap Sertoli cell tumours. They're uncommon, a lot less common compared to the Leydig cell tumours. They may present with precocious puberty, again a lot less likely to do so compared to the Leydig tumours. They affect any male at any age. They have a few histological subtypes, all of which are diagnosed following an orchidectomy. One final thing to note about Sertoli tumours is that although they're usually solitary, they are occasionally associated with Carney complex. Those of you close to or having just done an exam will know Carney complex is a rare form of multiple endocrine neoplasia. As well as the Carney complex, Sertoli cell tumours are also associated with Peutz, Jeggers and Kleinfelter syndromes. We're now going to move on to the third in our group of non-germ cell tumours, the granulosa cell tumours. Now, granulosa cell tumours are a lot more common in ovaries, but they can rarely occur within a testis. It's always benign, and again, diagnosis is near impossible on imaging, so always diagnosed post-orchidectomy. Now, granulosa cell tumour of the testis has adult 
and juvenile subtypes. I'm going to start by discounting the adult granulosa cell testicular tumour because it's so incredibly rare. Only 29 cases have ever been reported, ever. So if you're putting that down in an exam, you're either very confident or a complete moron. The juvenile form is by no means common, but it's at least worth a passing mention. Even though I've decided that it's worth mentioning, most textbooks disagree. It's near impossible for granulosa cell tumour to get mentioned anywhere. I've had to read through case reports to get information on this tumour for you. That's how dedicated I am. But I digress. Let's go back to juvenile granulosa cell tumour because we are discounting the adult version. The first thing to note is if a child, an infant or a child within the first six months of life develops a sex cord stromal tumour, then this is the most common. Even so, I've only found about 50 case reports. The baby will have a testicular mass that will be asymptomatic. There are some associations that might be worth knowing. The first is that there are no endocrine features. Some case reports have said that the contralateral testis is undescended, although normal. Other case reports have linked it to external genitalia abnormalities, like ambiguous genitalia or hyperspadia. And that's actually about it. So let's just recap, because I faffed around a lot on that one. Let's just recap granulosa cell tumour. It's the third in the group we're talking about. I've said the adult version is a complete waste of time learning. The child version, the juvenile granulosa cell tumour, is the most common sex cord stromal tumour in neonates and up to the first six months of life. There are no endocrine hormonal features. There are no raised tumour markers. The only things of note are possibly linked to an associated contralateral undescended testis, possibly linked to external genitalia abnormalities. Imaging features, like with every other tumour in this group, are completely nonspecific. That's it for granulosa cell tumour. Let's move on to another rare tumour, fibrothecoma of the testis. Another one that I had to trawl through case reports to bring you information. So fibrothecomas are common in postmenopausal women in their 60s. They're not common in the testis. I told you I found maybe 50 case reports for the previous granulosa cell tumour. Do you know how many I found for fibrothecoma? Two. There are two case reports of fibrothecoma. So that's how likely it is to be in your exam. But I am nothing if not thorough. So let's say something about it. So this is an adult tumour. It most commonly presents as a painless testicular mass. I say most commonly. There have only been two. The theca cells from which a fibrothecoma arises are stimulated by luteinizing hormone. They then secrete androstene dion, which we know is uptaken by the granulosa cells and converted to estradiol. That's why a fibrothecoma may well have hormonal patterns to presentation. 
men may present with gynecomastia, with impotence, decreased libido and other symptoms of oestrogen excess. I say this but I do remind you there have only ever been two. In women with ovarian fibrothecomas, they can be associated with a syndrome called Gorlin syndrome, which you'll remember from your revision is a basal cell carcinoma syndrome with a bunch of other characteristics. Now the first ever fibrothecoma in the testis that was diagnosed, the first case report, was also in a patient with Gorlin syndrome. So let's just recap fibrothecoma of the testis. There's not much to recap because I haven't said much. However, it will be more than you'll find in most textbooks. Presents as a painless testicular mass may have symptoms of oestrogen excess. So let's just recap the non-germ cell or the sex cord stromal tumours. I've talked about four of them, two of which I probably shouldn't have bothered with. The four we've talked about are the four tumours that arise from the four stromal cell types. Leydig cells, Sertoli cells, granulosa cells and Fika cells. They all have non-specific imaging findings and they are indistinguishable from the malignant tumours on the other side of the flowchart. Leydig tumours are the most common of a very rare bunch. They may present with hormonal imbalance, gynecomastia, precocious puberty and virilization. They have a bimodal distribution, ages 5 to 10 and 20 to 30. Sertoli were the next group, a lot less likely to be associated with hormonal symptoms. The particular finding of note was that they are associated with Carney complex, Kleinfelter syndrome and Putes Jeggers. Finally, the ridiculously rare granulosa cell tumours and fibrothecomas of the testis. Granulosa cell tumours are divided into adult and juvenile forms. The adult one I didn't talk about. The juvenile one I said was the most common sex cord stromal tumour of neonates and babies up to the age of six months. And finally, fibrothecoma. If that comes in the exam of the testis, I will eat my hat. There is one additional sex cord stromal tumour I want to talk about and that's gonadoblastoma. I've left it to the end because most authors consider this to be an undifferentiated or a mixed sex cord stromal tumour. Although not all authors agree and some have characterised it as a distinct entity. So what is gonadoblastoma and how are they going to ask you about it in the exam? That's what you want to know. Gonadoblastoma is within the group of sex cord stromal tumours. The key in an exam is that they are associated with the intersex disorders. Usually found in patients under the age of 30, but often discovered in the perinatal period when the patient's having a workup for whatever intersex disorder they have. So when a patient's born with ambiguous genitalia, somewhere along the workup they may find a unilateral or a bilateral gonadoblastoma. They can be hormonally active and occasionally will present with precocious puberty or virilization. Imaging, they can be unilateral or bilateral. I think I've already mentioned that. 
The gonadoblastoma itself is completely benign. However, it has to be removed, otherwise it has a risk of developing into a germ cell tumour. In fact, they do tend to develop into a germ cell tumour. They also are often discovered coexisting with another malignancy. Another small point is, if there is a contralateral undescended testis, that's often also removed because it usually contains another gonadoblastoma. So quick recap of gonadoblastoma, it's essentially an undifferentiated sex cord stromal tumour, strongly associated with disorders of sexual development or intersex disorders. Usually patients under 30, most commonly they identified in the workup of a patient born with ambiguous genitalia. Often bilateral and tend to develop into germ cell tumours if not removed. Finally, like with every other tumour in this group of stromal sex cord tumours, the imaging findings are completely non-specific. That's it, we are done with the sex cord stromal tumours. We're almost done, I promise. I'm just going to mention three final things that you need to know. Let's call it a miscellaneous group of testicular lesions. The first is epidermoid cyst. These are completely benign, they have zero malignant potential, but because they comprise around 1% of all testicular tumours, it's worth having it in the back of your mind as a possible differential. I also mention them because they have a pathognomic appearance and it's such an easy thing to get right in an exam. So epidermoid cysts are true cysts. They'll be very well circumscribed. They'll have an echogenic border and lots of internal laminations which give it a onion ring appearance. This onion ring appearance, I'll say it again, is classical of epidermoid cysts, the vast majority of which are intratesticular. So a well-demarcated echogenic border with a classic laminated onion ring appearance within the testis is an epidermoid cyst. The second thing I want to mention is adrenal rest cells. What you can sometimes see with patients that have high levels of circulating ACTH, for example, if they have benign adrenal hyperplasia, they will have tumour-like lesions within the testis. The lesions will be focal, usually bilateral and hypoechoic with abnormal colour flow. The giveaway in an exam is obviously going to be high levels of ACTH. That will clinch the diagnosis for you. So we've done epidermoid cysts, the classic laminated onion ring appearance. We've done adrenal rest cells, bilateral, focal, hypoechoic, tumour-like areas in patients that have high levels of circulating ACTH. The final thing I want to quickly mention is a sperm cell granuloma. Sperm cell granuloma is also called epididymitis nodosa. It's benign and particularly occur in patients post-vasectomy. I'm mentioning the stuff that I think makes really easy exam questions. So post-vasectomy in up to 40% of people. It's thought to be a sort of chronic inflammation, chronic epididymitis type lesion and essentially it's 
a granulomatous reaction that surrounds some extravasated sperm cells. What will it look like? On ultrasound, you'll see a well-defined heterogeneous mass, usually at the epididymis or at the ends where the ductus deferens has been divided. The giveaway in an exam is going to be post-vasectomy. So that's it. We're done. Let me have a two-minute break and then we will do a quick recap and overview of everything we've talked about so far. So here is our final recap. We did testicular tumours, which we divided into germ cell and non-germ cell tumours. The germ cell tumours we divided further into seminomas and non-seminomatous germ cell tumours. The non-seminomatous germ cell tumours consisted of embryonal cell carcinoma, choriocarcinoma, yolk sac tumour, teratoma and mixed germ cell tumour. The second half of the chart were the non-germ cell tumours. These were Leydig cell, Sertoli, granulosa cell, fibrothecoma, and finally gonadoblastoma. I then mentioned three additional benign mass lesions found within the testis. Epidermoid cyst, adrenal rest cells, and sperm granuloma. Music today was a cover of Great Balls of Fire by the very talented Tony Desaire, a jazz singer from New York, I believe. Do check him out. We hope you enjoyed the episode and are now armed with knowledge on testicular tumours. Keep listening, spread the word, write a review, drop us an email. Don't forget to enter our competition. See the previous Competition Time podcast for details. The person in the lead has three out of five so far. We hope you enjoyed the talk and we'll see you next time.